I'm very thankful today for the uh, opportunity we have for others to be leading us in worship. Thelma is not with us today. She's taking a Sunday off, so we're very thankful for Loretta Tranter over here for playing piano for us this morning and leading us. We're so thankful for you and then also for Andrew and for Lori for leading us in the song we just received a moment ago and I'm just incredibly thankful for the gifts and talents and blessings that exist within the life of this congregation. We shared this last Sunday, uh, this last week actually in our newsletter that we have hired a new uh, sanctuary worship leader who's going to be starting the beginning of May on May 7th. And uh, you may know that that is Scott Higby right over here. So wave your hand, Scott. So a couple of things are going to happen in a few weeks. In the last Sunday of April, we're going to be saying thank you to Gay Overton, who's been volunteering as our choral director during the service for a good number of months. So we're going to be blessing her and thanking her for that. And then on the first Sunday of May, we'll have a time for prayer and celebration for Scott's leadership in our midst. So all in all, we're very thankful for the ways God is opening new doors for our congregation as we worship together each and every week. So happy Easter. It is. Something that most people don't know, they're very accustomed to Lent lasting for 40 days. People just kind of know Lent lasts 40 days, and it starts on Ash Wednesday, it ends on Easter. But most people don't know that Easter is not a day in the Christian year. Easter is actually a feast that lasts for 50 days. And it started last Sunday on the 9th of April, and it will continue every single day all the way up until the day of Pentecost, which is May 28th this year. And so it's Happy Easter. Christ is risen. See, you're going to get the hang of it. We're going to keep doing this every week and see how it works out for us. We're starting a new series of messages today called Unstrung. And that's with this kind of strange image you see of a person's head kind of getting unraveled. We picked this image on purpose because these stories of Jesus's post-resurrection appearances cause people to be unstrung. (laughs) They cause people to be unraveled in a certain sort of way. And so we just want to sit with these stories of Jesus and wonder about them and consider what it means to meet the post-resurrected Christ and how, in some ways, there are a lot of topics that this post-resurrection Jesus touches on that oftentimes we stay away from. For example, in a few weeks, we're going to be talking about Jesus' reconciliation with Peter when he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And then Peter says, yes, I do. And then Jesus says, then feed my sheep or feed my lambs. It's a restoration of Peter from his failure when he denied Jesus three times. And the reason that we're talking about this in terms of unstrung is that oftentimes we don't talk about how problems get resolved. For a lot of people, we just ignore conflict. We ignore problems and just move past it and pretend like it didn't happen. Jesus actually causes us to step into that space that makes us a little uncomfortable. So this year, instead of avoiding it, we're actually going to steer into the skid a little bit and ask ourselves the deeper questions. How are we to be transformed because we've met this resurrected Jesus? And so today we're going to talk about a very well-known story, a story about doubt 
And whenever I say the word doubting, whose name comes after that? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. We've maligned poor Thomas because of his doubt. We even have an idiom named after him. And today I want to explore that a little bit more with you and how we might understand that doubt, doubt is not the problem. Something else is the problem, but doubt isn't quite it. So let's talk about talking, let's talk first about how doubt can be a problem for us. And that's dangerous doubt, dangerous doubt. Now, dangerous doubt is in this story we heard read from John's gospel this morning. And it occurs by the 10 disciples who've gathered together in this room somewhere in Jerusalem, and they're hiding out in this room. And this story that we heard read today occurs on the very first day of Easter. So you remember the story last week of Jesus' resurrection from John's gospel about how Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb She sees it empty. She goes back and tells the disciples. Then Peter and an unnamed disciple, who we suspect to be John, come to the tomb, find the tomb empty, and then they return. After they return, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Then he tells Mary to go tell his disciples. And so she dutifully goes off to tell the disciples that she's seen the risen Lord Jesus. It's the same day. It's the same day, but now it's in the evening of that day. And 10 of the disciples are gathered together in a room somewhere in Jerusalem. Now, there's a reason there's 10. Judas Iscariot has already committed suicide. So now the number is 11. And apparently, at this first appearance of Jesus, as we learn, there's one of the disciples that's not present besides Judas, and that is Thomas. He's not there. So Jesus appears in a moment to all of these gathered in the room. But let's just log this again. It's the same day, it's Easter Sunday. They're all gathered together in a room. Mary Magdalene has told them twice now, the first time that the tomb was empty, the second time that she's seen the risen Jesus herself. And Peter and this other disciple have already been to the tomb and have seen it empty, but yet they're still gathered in this room. They're still afraid. They're still filled with terror. That's dangerous doubt. The dangerous kind of doubt is the one that causes us to take no action, to do nothing, to hide, to stay in a place out of fear and out of terror, the one that keeps us from moving. I mean, there's a reason why they've all gathered together. Let's be honest. They're close associates of a man who was just arrested and publicly executed, and they don't want to be associated with him, so they're hiding out. Because if people find out that they are the ones hanging out with Jesus, the religious authorities may pull them out into public and persecute them in the same way they persecuted Jesus. This is compounded now with the problem that the grave that Jesus was placed in is empty. And so as far as the Romans are concerned, and to some degree the Jewish authorities are concerned, that these 10 disciples, or 11, including Thomas, are now the top of the suspect list of those who have stolen the body of Jesus. So they're all hanging out, afraid of being outed as followers of Jesus. Can you imagine the stories they're trading together in the room? They're talking probably about Mary Magdalene and what she had to say. They're talking about what happened with Peter and the other disciple. They're talking about not being found, talking about hiding, fear, and terror are their currency 
at that moment in time. You know, sometimes we, we live and make our own choices just like the disciples with this dangerous kind of doubt. We find ourselves in situations, find ourselves in moments in our life where we're filled with a sense of fear, anxiety, worry, carrying the uncertainty of what our life might look like. You see, this is a dangerous kind of doubt because it's a doubt that has no outcome. It's a doubt that doesn't have a solution. It's a doubt that has no direction. It's just a stew, and there's stewing in it. You know, it's one thing to have a kind of doubt that leans toward a solution. It's one thing to have a hesitation, but you're kind of stepping into the right answer. But it's another thing to have a kind of doubt that arrests you and holds you in place out of fear. That's what's happening to the disciples. That's what happens to us. And so, as we sit in the stew sometimes of our own doubt, we recognize that there are life situations that just like the disciples, cause us to face this. If you're working at Amazon or Microsoft and just got laid off of your job, or Facebook, fear, uncertainty. Between those three companies, they've eliminated almost 50,000 jobs, half of which are in Seattle. You see, friends, there's lots of situations that could cause us to have this sense of same kind of fear or terror or uncertainty about the future. It could be our health. It could be children in our house and what it means for us to parent children well. Sometimes it's politics and protests. All of these things in our life can sometimes cause us to retreat. And one of the things that pandemic uncovered for us is that we've all figured out a way to live alone. But that living alone came at a cost, didn't it? It came at a very high cost. And that we lost what it meant to be connected and to be in community, what it meant to be in relationship with one another. We, we compensated to some degree by using Zoom and other tools to keep us connected with individuals. But let's not underestimate the kind of trauma that has had on us relationally as people. Sometimes I think we've just forgotten how to hang out, forgotten how to be together. We have to relearn that. So a question I'd like you to think about just in silence for a moment is this. I'm going to give you a minute of silence. Think about this question. Where is dangerous doubt at work in your life today? Where is dangerous doubt at work in your life today?
Dangerous doubt is fueled by fear, terror, that arrests us and causes us to, to retreat, to hide, and to not engage. But there is a different kind of doubt, and it's a doubt born from longing. And this is the doubt that I want to talk about, especially with Thomas. The story here opens with fear. Everyone's huddled together in a room hiding out. Jesus appears in the room with the ten disciples that are gathered there, but Thomas is not there, just ten of the disciples that are there. And when Jesus appears, it says that he's greeted with joy. And this is a huge change in the biblical narrative from beginning to end about what happens when God appears in your midst. Throughout the Bible, what is normative when God appears is that God appears in a thing called a theophany. That's the name of it, when there's an appearance of God, like at the burning bush or whatever. It's called a theophany. So whenever there's a theophany or an appearance of God, the human response to that consistently every single time is fear. People are afraid, and then the voice speaks to them or the angel says to them, be not afraid or don't be afraid. But what's interesting is this story in John's gospel, this is the first time there's a theophany. Jesus appears in their midst, and instead of being filled with fear, it says the disciples were filled with joy when they saw Jesus appear in their midst. Just stop for a minute and imagine what it would have been like to have been there. Just in your mind's eye, how wonderful would it have been to have been in that room when Jesus appears? And stands before you in your midst. Can you imagine the questions and the wonderings that those ten disciples are all carrying? So fear is now replaced with something else. So will Jesus finally topple Roman power? Will Jesus take over the Jewish religious community as the Messiah? We know they're wondering about these things because not too many days later, on the day of Jesus' ascension, which is 40 days later, they ask him, Jesus, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? We know what's on their mind. They think, okay, good, this resurrection thing is over, so now are we ready to get down to business, Jesus? And instead of Jesus saying, oh, great, great, I'm here to lead the revolution, to overthrow the Romans, what's he do? He tells them three things. The first thing is that they're being sent. Do you understand why that statement is so powerful? Because what have they been doing all day? Hiding. Jesus shows up and the first thing he says is that y'all are leaving. You're being sent. And then the story goes on in John's gospel that they're given the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And then it says that they're given authority, that they have an authority to proclaim the truth of Jesus in the world. Now, on the podcast that I did during the week about the sermon that many of you listened to, we talked a little bit about the authority that takes place, so I'm not going to spend time getting into that here in the sermon today. Just file that away. If you haven't listened to the podcast, go to our website. You can find it and listen to it. I spent a lot of time talking about these three things a little bit more in detail. The first the first thing is the most important thing. They're all gathered together out of fear. The first thing Jesus says is, you're all leaving. You're going. 
And you're going to go do the work that I've sent you to do. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So this whole notion of gathering together isn't going to work anymore. But Thomas isn't there. The part of the story that's quietly lurking as we throw our doubting Thomas idioms out into the room is one of the disciples isn't there. One of the disciples wasn't afraid to go outside of that room. One of the disciples wasn't afraid to be seen in public. One of the disciples had to go down to 7-Eleven and get a half gallon of milk. And his name is Thomas. What I'm suggesting to you is that Thomas, even quietly in the story, is demonstrating the healthy behavior out of the 11 disciples. The 10 of them that are there are all huddled together out of fear. And Jesus appears. Thomas didn't need to be told to be sent because he's already gone. For whatever reason, he's gone. What I appreciate about this story is that all Thomas wants is the same experience the other 10 disciples had. That's all he wants. Jesus appears to the 10 and he leaves. Thomas comes back with his half gallon of milk from 7-Eleven. He walks in the door. Hey, guys, what's going on? And they say, Jesus was here. And then they begin to describe what happened while Jesus was there. Can you imagine what it's like? Have you ever missed out on the moment? Happens all the time, doesn't it? Thomas has kind of missed out on the moment, and all he wants is the same thing the other disciples had. Thomas says, I won't believe it until I can put my finger into his hands, and I can put my hand into his side. Then I'll believe. What he asks for is nothing different than what the other disciples had already experienced with Jesus in their midst. And so I would suggest to you it's not really fair to malign him. I hope we all make a commitment to stop saying doubting Thomas. It's not really fair. We have to be honest as Christian people in the 21st century that Thomas represents the majority of people in the world when they think about their engagement with any religion. They carry with them a sense of hesitation, a sense of suspicion, a little bit of wonder mixed into all of that. Thomas represents, in every way, the 21st century world. Show me his hands and his side, and I'll believe. Show me that you're really a community of love, and I'll believe. Show me I'd be welcome there, and I'd believe. Show me that you care about me, and I'd believe. You see, Thomas carries with him the longing of almost every human heart. And what God invites us to do as a community of faith is to convey that, to convey that people are loved, that they're cared for, that they belong, that they can bring all of their questions and wonderings and hesitations and all of that, and they're going to find a place 
where they can put that on the table and we can be honest about it. Rather than not talking about it, we're going to, as we say, steer into the skid. We're going to talk about it. We're going to engage with people right where they're at with what they're carrying in their everyday lives. And what I would suggest is that every single one of us is carrying in our lives. And if that's not true for you, thou art a hypocrite. We all carry some of this stuff in one way or another. So some question to wonder, questions to wonder about again this week. What deep longings do you have today? And consider those close to you, and what are they longing for as well? Sometimes those longings, when we talk about them, sound like doubt, but in fact they're just a, an expression of our desire to experience, to know, to relate, to be connected to the power of God in our midst in Jesus Christ. So in this way, doubt, doubt is an indicator for belief. I believe this strongly. You see, Thomas, Thomas carries all of this doubt, but much of it being born from his own disappointment of missing out. He's important, and he describes most of us. You've probably heard of FOMO before, haven't you? FOMO? This is what FOMO means. Fear of missing out. And it's a deep need human beings carry around that we're afraid we're going to miss out on something. It's like getting that 64-ounce soda at the movie theater. It was such a wonderful idea before the movie started. But halfway through the film, you recognize that something has to happen to that 64-ounce soda. And so you leave the theater, only to find out that by the time you come back, FOMO has happened to you. You have missed out on something that you needed to know and experience. We know what this is like, especially as we get older. When Jesus appears eight days later, eight days later, he reappears. Notice his tone with Thomas. Does he condemn him? Not a bit. He doesn't say, Thomas, you loser. How could you not believe? Nothing. Jesus simply invites him and exhorts him to a place of belief out of his unbelief. And he says, Thomas, come to me and put your finger in my hands and put your hand in my side. And the text never tells us whether Thomas does that. There's not a word about that from Thomas or from Jesus. All we know is that when Jesus appears in the room eight days later, he simply gives Thomas exactly what he was longing for. He says, come, Thomas, put your finger, put your hand. See if it's not true and real. All the text tells us of Thomas's response isn't whether he touched Jesus or not. It leaves that out. All he says is this, my Lord and my God. It's a powerful creed, isn't it? I mean, are there moments in your life where you've just simply fallen down and said, my Lord and my God, that that's been your cry 
before the Lord? Gosh, it's just such a wonderful story. And I'd suggest that we just simply need to learn that doubts and questions and curiosities and wonderings are what we need to put on the table with God. We need to pray about them openly and honestly. We need to be in small groups together where we can talk about those things, where we can express the fact that I'm holding on to this, I'm wondering about this, I'm longing for this, so we can share that experience with other people. Doubt is an indicator of belief sometimes. It's the place where we need to simply say, I need to move from point A to point B. And point A is filled with some doubt and uncertainty. And Jesus meets us there and invites us into a deeper kind of relationship. Friends, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. The notion that we know it all, get it all, and have it all. If that's our posture, there's no room for faith anywhere because we've already got it figured out. In this way, when we talk about doubt like this, doubt actually becomes the necessary ingredient. It's the very catalyst we need for there to be faith. And Jesus provides a wonderful beatitude in this story. Did you hear it at the end? A beatitude, do you remember? A statement of blessing that Jesus gives. At the very end, he says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's the beatitude. I find this story to be remarkably graceful, beautiful, just lovely. It's an endearing story about how Jesus invites us with our doubts, our wonderings, our longings, and invites us to come. And so today, I want to invite you into a different sort of experience as we close together today is I'd like you to have a moment to confess. Confess what doubt, longing, or wondering you're carrying with you today. The the word confess simply means to agree with. And so God already knows the doubt, the longing, or the wondering that you're carrying. So all that really needs to happen here is your agreement with God that that's the doubt, longing, or wondering you're carrying. Some questions you might want to wonder about this week is what doubt are you carrying that can point to Jesus today? And what is your next step? I'd like to invite you into a next step today. You're probably wondering why there's an index card in your bulletin. It's there for you this morning, for those of you here in the sanctuary, for you to write down on it your response to that question. And today as you come for communion, I'm going to invite you to Place it in this basket you see right here. We're just going to give you a few moments of silence to wonder, to pray, to steer into the skid. Say, Jesus, this is what I'm holding today. This is what I'm longing for, what I want so desperately to know from you. Just write it down on that card and bring it forward and place it in this basket.